the break, guys. I'm Jen. And I'm David. Hello, Jen. Hello, David. <laughs> and hello, Ishmael. I see on the camera with Jen, and, and here I have Coco. Yo, 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 back again. You're trying to throw off my flavor early, but I already got the hot takes for this episode. <laughs> hey, Coco. Hi, how's it going? Yeah, how are you doing? I am good. I'm excited to talk about the finale. Amen. That's and your hot takes. Yeah, I don't have a cool catchphrase yet. <laughs> <laughs> that should I... be a catchphrase. I don't have a cool catchphrase. You two, you two uh, for the audience, these two look very cozy sitting in there. Well, Jen's wearing a holiday sweater. Um, and it feels very, it feels very holiday vibes in the podcast today. I'm, I'm liking it. Happy holidays. Mm-hmm. And, and what are you guys doing for the holidays? You're going to be in New York. You're going elsewhere. Well, big Santa checking in here. I have a few things planned. I got my little elves, you know, wrapping packages and gifts. And you know, this is something that they're going to talk about in the history books. Living with your significant other, aka my wife in a one-bedroom apartment, and trying to hide stuff. That is <laughs> the mystery. I know that story. Excellent. Excellent. It's, it, it involves a lot of discipline. Yeah, and you have to revert back to your lying way sometimes. Oh, what? <laughs> well, that's what we're doing? Oh, okay. But the thing is, I'm not interested in finding the things. I'm really not. I'm a grown-up, okay? The thing is, he had something with, like, a linen cloth over it. And I'm like, sir, look, what, what's going on? Like, do you want me to discover this? So, <laughs> I'm not interested in finding anything. So while I appreciate you, you know, doing everything you can to hide them, I'm not looking for them. I'm going to have to come back on this um, podcast to tell you about that linen cloth after the fact. Because I just love how she thinks she knows everything. This is beautiful. <laughs> I'm excited to see. I'm excited to hear what you get. How are you guys doing? We're good. We're just Christmas out over here. I've been listening to Christmas music all day. I am like you. I don't try to find presents. David tried to get me to open presents. It's like, do you want to just open them now? She like, she no. was feeling a bit sad, so I was like, Look, you can just open them now. Was I sad? <laughs> hey, I wasn't serious. It wasn't really sad. No, he's spicing it up for the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Not what happened. Yeah, they're just, you know, they're just under there under the tree, just wasting away for weeks or, or days on end. And, you know, it just feels a little bit sad to me. Well, I, I have a birthday around Christmas, so I'm used to this. When is your yeah, birthday? It's, uh, it's uh, Monday, December 19th. So when you were growing up, happy early birthday when you were growing Thank up, did people combine your birthday gifts and Christmas gifts? I never cared. Everyone asked me that growing up every single year, and they're like, oh, we feel so bad. You always get gypped. And I guess I just, I was not that kid. I wasn't into material stuff. I was a nerd. <laughs> and fortunately, she still isn't into material stuff. So that's a good thing. That is no, a good I, thing. I seriously would love if people buy me like really nice socks. I'm happy. Like anything cozy, I'm good. I don't, I don't need anything itchy or, you know just cumbersome it's lucky because all i've got her is a pair of socks so <laughs> yeah, clearly so open you already know what's in there mm -hmm. 
what's your what's your two's kind of uh christmas giving tradition or what's your like what's your traditional christmas day if it's just you two so the cool thing about it and you know first christmas as a married couple we get to kind of establish what those traditions are when i was growing up we had plenty so like one is opening a gift on uh christmas eve because my mom worked the night shift so she would allow us to do that so she can at least be there while we open one gift. Um, so with Jen, just watching her grow into the Christmas spirit, because prior to me, she wasn't the Christmas person, right? But again, I am Big Santa. I own that name. I live by it. I love it. I'm listening to Christmas music. So Coco, I want to hear whose album are you playing right now? Oh, whose album? I'm. I love old-fashioned Christmas music. It's boring, but I love like Ella Fitzgerald, like the old Christmas jazz. It's just super, super warm and rich and cozy. And it's just like that classic Christmas vibe. Yeah, that's perfect music for like Chicago. Like I grew up listening yeah. to because we have beautiful winters, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. white places. So that, that music is perfect. How about you guys? What music do you listen to? Any modern Christmas music? Oh, for sure. Tyler, the creator, has the best Christmas album in the past three, four years. Highly recommend it. Oh, I will definitely listen to it. What's the name of the album? Oh, it, So it was actually the soundtrack for the new Grinch movie. And uh-huh. he did it. And it's so musically inclined. You're going to be very surprised. Like, wait a minute. This is Tyler, the creator. It's phenomenal. Noted. Can't wait to listen to it. Yeah, we'll definitely give that a listen. I'm loving the sound of that. <laughs> uh, before we move on to the to the episode, the way you sounded, David, I don't know if you've ever seen these old SNL episodes. Those two ladies, one of them is Molly Shannon. <laughs> and they like... This is Tickling Coco, whatever it is. Okay, so now, and you can fill in the blanks of what I'm trying to say. But they had a radio show and they just had these like, I don't know, these warm, but like shady kind of voices. I don't know. The way you just said what you said, it made me think of that. It was like they were doing, making fun of sort of uh, like NPR Christmas where they were just like, oh, yes, wonderful. Mm, Absolutely. That is fantastic. Oh, that sounds lovely. That's what David does. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, that's a treat for you guys. Well, the problem, the problem when you talk about music is that David is actually one of the only tone deaf people I've ever met in my life. And being a musician, that is really hilarious to me. Like I actually try to see if he can hit a note or we did this, we did this test uh, when we were in Hawaii because I was just like, are you actually tone deaf? Are you just not really trying? And so we looked his test up online and, and it would make him guess if a note was higher or lower. So it would play a tone and it would be a low note and he would go, oh yeah, it's higher. I was just like, what? <laughs> like it really boggles my mind. I mean, I've grown up around musical people my whole life. So I, I've never met a tone deaf person in real life. That's yeah, why that's me. Spill. It's like the weirdest thing to me. It's like, why don't you know this? Why? Like I malfunction. <laughs> I think that I am tone deaf like David too. So I want to do this test. Oh my God. <laughs> David, I gotta see you dance now because that is. Just my oh, you think it's related? Yeah, it's because he can't hear the music. 
<laughs> well, see, this is it. So I can, I can, like, I love music, and I, and I, and I, I think I have good taste generally, um, and I can hear good music and bad music. But it's just when I have to get specific about it, I am hopeless. And when I have to sing, you don't want to hear me have to sing. That's like the worst kind of Christmas you're going to get is when you have to hear me sing. David, you probably don't know this, but Jen is an incredible singer. <laughs> it's, I, I kid you not, I'm not saying this for the podcast. That's my favorite thing that she does. It, Man, if I'm having a bad day, boo, just sing to me, please. It's a, I had, So I recorded her singing once. We're going to talk. Yeah, I'd love to hear that. Ridiculous. Anyway, this is nice. You could you could also hear you singing on your album, which would be no, no. We won't go that far. <laughs> I'm embarrassing Coco now. We're here to talk about the TV show. The TV show, okay. The TV show. And, and before we get to the TV show, we're definitely having you on for an episode. For I don't know, a, a, a release single, something. You got to promote your music, girl. Oh well, thank you. We'll see if I ever finish my second album. <laughs> Fingers crossed. It's it's sounding amazing so far. The little I've heard of it, it Thank sounds you. incredible. Thank um, you. So, trying to get better at receiving compliments this year, twenty twenty three. I can do it. Compliments, receive them all. And she deserves a lot of them. So you know, she's got to get used to it. Oh. That's enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, then you could see how red she is. <laughs> I can actually. I can. So we're here, guys, for all the commentary on this finale of I want to say one of the greatest white shows. I'm sorry, I gotta say it. Okay, one of the greatest white shows I've ever seen in my life. And I just want to say up front, I don't want to see any black people in this show. Okay. And we could talk about that later, but I'm not interested. I just want to see white people, okay? And that the name of the show is The White Lotus, as we know. And <laughs> this last episode is aptly titled Arima Zerchi. I want to hear everybody say that. Arima Zerchi. That was pretty good. Go ahead, David, please. Arima Zerchi. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Why are you sorry? That's for... <laughs> no pressure now, Coco. Okay, ready? I'm going to lean into it. Arrivederci. Oh, yeah. Oh, I like okay. it. And then she used her hands. She was she... Italian woman over there. And she is partly Italian. So, you know, she. she... Sicilian, Sicilian. My grandma's whole side is from Sicily. Specific. They're intense. Mm-hmm. How, how, like, that's a pretty cool thing to stumble upon with this particular season. Wow, talk about a, a transition. Yeah. Did, Coco, did you feel like Bert, a bit of a homecoming watching this season? <laughs> yeah, I felt like my people. This could have been my life. I could have been Lucia. <laughs> oh, my God. Do, do you think you'd have made the same choices? I would have made a lot more money if I was her. <laughs> <laughs> you'd, you'd, you'd have better control over your book. She seemed pretty inconsistent. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Coco is Sicilian. Um, let's start with yeah. Let's start with the uh, the family Grosso. of guys, the the Grossos. Yes, the Grossos. The Grossos. Uh, and let's start with Coco. Wherever you want to start, Sicilian. Ooh, oh, the Grossos. Dom and Albie and Bert. Should we start with Albie?
I guess he, I mean, he had a wake-up call, didn't he, by the end of the episode? We start with him with the bri- bribing his father, the lovely father-son bribery breakfast. Yeah. With the karma payment. Yeah. Big payment. <laughs> Big payment. I mean, just how, uh, we're not giving out awards yet, but I mean, I might save for him. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Do you need some help, Coco? Yeah. <laughs> Coco's stumbled around somewhere. Honestly, I just ate a bunch of cheese and I think I'm having an allergic reaction to it. I ate too much cheese before the podcast. And she's not even joking at this point. I'm not joking. <laughs> Come on. Um, uh, but yeah, so we start with that with uh, Albie asking Dom for a, a karma payment of 50K. Uh, and we all know, as does Dom, that he's being duped, right? And, and Dom even says it. He calls him the mark. the microphone. He even calls him a mark. Dom calls Albie a mark directly to his face and knows exactly what he's getting into when he makes the payment, but he still does it. And to me, uh, I, I found that as a really nice moment because uh, it just it showed a, a, a growth with Dom. And because I don't think though he got the you know the quid pro quo of it where Albie was going to get put in a good words, I think he did it because he cared and he wanted to kind of give Albie that support in that moment. And I thought that was quite a, a nice thing for Dom in the finale. Oh, I took that completely different. First and foremost, I'm going to just say this, and this may be controversial. I believe about it, right? Dom <laughs> should have punched Albie dead in his face when he sat down and had the audacity. So I'm pretty sure Jen has explained the context of the word audacity and what it means to Black people specifically. He had the audacity to basically try to uh, corner his dad for 50k are you serious mm-hmm. sir no I, I'm gonna let God handle this relationship with my wife I don't need you to add in but $50,000 and when he called him a mark Jen couldn't control herself is because that's what I labeled him early on like yo he's a mark and it's just unfortunate that he couldn't see beyond his own lack of experience in dating to really understand who Lucia was and I have additional thoughts about her, but I'll hold it till we get to that particular segment. But Albie is the worst character on this show. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't disagree on that front. Like he, he's, he's weak world at best. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, I completely agree. He is, he's always been the mark. He's always been that guy who's just, he's been setting himself up for a fall and he's fallen four or five times during the series. And this is obviously the ultimate one. Um, but it's just the moment of Dom just kind of giving into it just felt like a nice moment for Dom rather than Albie, you know? Interesting. Oh, I just, yeah, I, your perspective is so interesting. Yeah, the way that I read that was completely how my boo said it. And I felt like for Dom, $50,000 really wasn't anything to him, like his son said. And if that was the payment for him to get his son to talk to his wife, you know, then he was going to do it for that reason. You know, I don't really, I didn't see it as him supporting Albie. It was more about like, for me, it felt like it was more about him trying to get closer to his wife, you know, or at least having a conversation or something. And it also made me realize, like, oh my God, like, this is a different type of, of wealth right here where he's like 50 that really isn't anything you know what i mean that's that's something 
and one additional thing, I felt like that payment in reference to Dom was more so of, I'm going to teach you a lesson. Like This is something that, well, excuse me, you have to learn this lesson on your own. So I'm going to enable you to learn this lesson because I've tried to tell you what she is, who she is, but you just can't seem to receive that from me because you're judging me based on the decisions that I've made, but also decisions that your grandfather Burke has made. So you think you are Captain Sabaho and <laughs> that you're just going to be the one who, you know, kind of turns the uh, generational curse off and start doing right, right by women. And if you remember, Dom even said, like, so are you going to just save every woman that's in need? So I think that was his way of like, hey, I believe Lucia is going to be who she is and she's going to be the one to teach him the lesson. The, the one one addition I'll make to that, what I find interesting about the situation is I think Albie, I think he knew he was getting conned. Like there, there's, a, there's a part of him where I think he knew it and him in asking for that money, he did want to help her. Like regardless of whether she was conning him, he was still helping her. And secondly, um, uh, kind of him kind of having that moment with his dad of like, look, you know, you've put me through all this shit. You've put mum through all this shit. I'm, I'm going to ask you for something now that is totally ridiculous. And I just need it as kind of, it, for me, it was kind of a question like, you know, do you love me, right? Do you care about me? Like regardless of the situation, I'm asking for your help and I need it right now. And that, that to me, that's what that was for Albie. It wasn't as much the other stuff. Like I felt there was an element of that about it. I think the whole thing's just morally bankrupt. <laughs> I just think, I mean, the whole, it's just so bizarre to look through the lens of someone like Jen said, has that much money that 50 grand is nothing. And to, I mean, I, we grew up on food stamps in my family. So just the idea of asking your parents for any money is insane, let alone going on a beautiful vacation and then asking for 50 grand for a stranger, like to trying to, for me to try and see through that lens is is insane but i don't know there's i guess you just that's the show there's people like that mm -hmm. that exist that have these conversations and how insane it is that that that's where that family got to that they're that rich and that corrupt that they can start bribing and pinning things against each other to get what they want and i'll be sort of losing his innocence in those moments too where he's kind of falling into the like corruption sort of his family and he's always kind of on his high horse but he's he's not really anymore because he's not really better than anybody else at this point mm -hmm. exactly exactly yeah well so then let me ask you for those guys but quickly on but it doesn't feel like he changed right in the end he kind of there was those moments when he felt like he was going to kind of get to the end of his journey and be like hey actually look I made some mistakes. I lived my life a certain way and it cost me. But after his experience hugging Mia, he's like, actually, you know, I'm, it was just like back to old school. But um, do you guys agree that he kind of didn't really change that much in the end? Um, there was a, but there was a chance of it. Or you think he did change a bit? I mean, I think he remained the same. But since the beginning, I didn't have an issue with how I was introduced to him this season. I thought he, um, you know, did his dirt with his wife. Then I came to understand he thought he did his best, you know, sort of hiding the dirt until his son told him, no, you didn't really hide it. We knew and mom died bitter. Um, 
I think he, in his own way, believed that he, at least with his wife, like respected her, that kind of thing. And when she transitioned, moved on to the Lord and stuff, he's just like came to this understanding or this belief he's probably never going to see another woman naked, right? Which he says. So for me, in his coquettish way, like it just was that. It was just coquettish. It was it was flirty. I never found it to be threatening. Um, him getting a boner when um, Mia hugged him. I think it's natural. Is it not natural? I mean, I think it's natural. I'm not a man, but I, I, I mean, I think so. So when he said, you know, our Achilles heel, what do you say? Our Achilles heel is our Achilles penis. Yeah, that was um, funny. <laughs> And I, I was like, I understand without being a man. So for me, I, 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 well, I don't mind who he is as an eighty-something-year-old man. Um, yeah. So no, I don't think he changed, but I never had an issue with who, with how we were introduced to him. I second that. I don't think he changed at all. I do think he had a reflective moment when Dom kind of exposed a little bit of. Um, what was actually happening. It really changed the whole perception of how he remembered raising Dom or being in his marriage and having his wife. But I, I felt bad for him once the homecoming went south. That was truly like heartbreaking. And I think he felt it on a multitude of levels. One from the perspective of coming home to a woman was something that he'll never get to have again. And I think Dom was a reminder of that, of like, man, that course of action that you're taking, you're going to also end up in a situation where you don't have a woman and a woman for them equates to home. You don't have that home to go to. So seeing his son go through that and we heard him throughout the season of, hey, you want me to help? You want me to help? <laughs> and, you know, it, it came off very humorous, but I think it was from a genuine place because of, again, his own situation. Bert was probably my favorite character. He added a sense of levity throughout. He was, you know, what you think about the elder patriarch in your family, just out here living their best life, doing and saying what they want, not really having a filter. So Bert was great. Uh, I agree. Well, I agree. I love that. He was a lot of entertainment. Like he was, he was one of, as you said, one of the moment, the people, the characters of levity. And uh, it was just always entertaining to watch him, even when he was going through the difficult stuff. Um, and I think he had a big effect on Dom and on Albie, honestly, um, in, in a positive way. And, and obviously, you know, a long-term negative way, but there were moments in this, just kind of even his vulnerabilities, which just gave Dom and Albie an insight that they didn't have before, which I think helped them, kind of get to whatever place they were going for better or worse, right? And I don't really have that much insight. I thought they were an interesting uh, generational study, but I have to admit, I kind of lost interest like in the, they weren't the most flavorful by the end. You know, I was, I was more interested in some of the other characters. So I'm just going to be quiet on this one because... They, they, I think they were built up in the beginning to kind of like it could have really exploded in a lot of different ways and it didn't really end up going in any of those ways I thought it was going to go. So, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 I think actually Dom was my first pick for like the person who was going to die. So I got that wrong. And I think everyone probably got every prediction wrong, honestly, 
considering yeah. how it ended. <laughs> I, was, I knew it all. Oh, so, yeah, all all. my predictions were right. <laughs> no, me and Coco were kind of close. With, didn't you also think it was a woman? Did you I think it was a woman. I think I said it was going to be a woman that was the murderer. Right. Okay. But we were closer. Yeah. We were closer. Yes. Okay. Uh, any other thoughts on these guys? Nah. No. Okay. All right. Moving on to Valentina. What do y'all have, Valentina? I'm just satisfied for her. I just, uh, I feel like she was one of the the more interesting character journeys through the show um, from beginning to end. And it was, it was, she was one of the most enjoyable characters to watch grow. And I also think that she uh, grew the most, one of the most of all the people in the show. Um, and I, yeah, I just really enjoyed, I was really satisfied with the ending of her character. Um, and it feels like she is probably in a way, the biggest winner of all of it. Um, kind of if you look at the individuals uh, I agree her character development was just really satisfying I didn't really have any complaints I thought they tied up her story really well she kind of ended up finding her own happiness and having this new door that was going to be opened through Mia and Lucia to go to gay bars and maybe explore a new life and then she was kind of standing up for women giving Mia the job uh, at the hotel and yeah I, I just thought she was a great character. I I feel I feel like they tied tied it up in a nice bow there. Ciao, ciao, Rocco, Rocco, Rocco to the beach. Like anyway, <laughs> Valentina was incredible, and I think what was so amazing about the writing was at the beginning of the season, just watching how she shunned and basically spit on Lucia and Mia. But by the end of it, Mia was the one who helped liberate her from the shackles of, you know, her coming to terms with her sexuality. So to see how that completely did a 180, I thought that was remarkable. Yeah, I agree with you guys. I was just so happy that uh, Valentina didn't become, um, like, angry after the experience with Mia. That was my concern because uh, that could have happened. Um, but I was also kind of happy that she didn't change so dramatically to where she was being nice to men. She's still a man hater, okay? Because she damn near cussed out what's his name? Uh, the short guy. Oh, he was funny. Yeah. <laughs> oh. He was like, you want me to do this? Where do you want me to go? And she's just like, sure. Um, so yeah, like that's all, that's all I have to say about her. But I, I, yeah. And, and I'll just say this, Valentina was a simp. She kept getting her little heart broken, like back to back. I'm like, come on, get it together, girl. Well, look, she, she was lonely. That was her thing. And at the end, she wasn't lonely anymore. And that's, that's the prize for her. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else on Valentina? No. Okay. okay. Moving on. Mia and Lucia, the prostitutes. Two of the other big winners. <laughs> David, do you want to start there? Sure, I mean, sure. Um, Lucia, uh, we we called that, you know, several episodes ago. It was that was always, you know, that we knew Albie as you, you know, even when you were on with us, Ishmael, and even before that, we, you know, he was the mark, he was the victim here, and that whole. 
balance with Dom and, and that tension. Um, so I, I was pleased to see her win, honestly. Like, she was a crafty woman. She really played it well. She played them like a fiddle, and she got what she wanted, and she got security, and she she looks like she helped, looked after her people. You know, she was just kind of really out for it. And, and what I kind of like about her is through the season, she's even when she's got those spurts of money, she just goes and blows it and has a good time. That's what she's lived for is to have a good time. And at the end, as we saw her and Mia walking through the streets, that's exactly what they're doing. They're just going and they're living it. They're having living their best lives. And you've got to rate that. And that feels like a very uh, Gen Z thing, right? I think that's like they just kind of live live every day, like really kind of the old school saying of carpe diem is just, and then it went to YOLO and now it's whatever it is. But it feels like they're really like they've grabbed onto that and they're doing it in their own way. Stunned silence. <laughs> Stunned silence. I'm trying to let... I want to hear Ishmael's thoughts. For the record, I just want to say I called it. She didn't have no pimp. And like David said, she, what I'll say about her, she was a masterful chess player. Mm-hmm. She fully manipulated everyone around her, including Mia. Because remember, Mia was not involved in this life. Mia mm-hmm. was a straight arrow. She was her clean friend. But Lucia just was masterful. Like she was the ultimate manipulator and an actor in her own right, as far as making Albi the mark, of course, fall in love and taking it a step back with Dom. Dom was trying to turn a new leaf, and that's still my favorite scene of the season. And she knew exactly what he wanted in order to get what she wanted. And that was some more money. So it's like, you know. You have to tip your hat to her, and this entire season was favorable to her. She ended up getting her money from Cam. Like, she cashed out. She can take the summer off. Now, Mia, on the other hand, like, Mia is that friend or that homie that you have that just kind of is very wayward, don't really know the direction of the course of their life, and you can really get them to go any which way. This just so happened to work in her favor from the perspective of she wanted to sing and she got that opportunity. She really worked Valentina. I must say she worked Valentina to get into that position, going from drugging the previous piano player. What I thought was so amazing about it, she actually had talent. So it's like, imagine if she would put dedication and time and effort towards her craft instead of falling behind Lucia crazy ass. (laughs) It's just like to your point, like they really they had a great season. Yeah, I think I think they were great characters. And I think Lucia, I just want to say I thought she was a great actress. Mm-hmm. I feel like uh of sort of the newcomers to the season, she seemed like she had a lot of depth and I feel like I can see her doing really well beyond the show. Uh she was just really she was great. She was just a really powerful, manipulative but like she was just kind of the vice character, you know, of the show where she just leaned into all of the all of the corners of her, like her wants, you know, she didn't really hold back. To add to that, because um, I agree with all of that. And actually, as, I, as you're saying, it, I'm thinking most of the characters in the show, this season was about sex and most of the characters in the show it was a kind of a taboo subject or it was always kind of, it was always talked about potentially in a negative way with Lucia. It was very sex positive and, and she was a rare character coming from that perspective of all the characters. 
Sex positive. I mean, she was a prostitute. So. Yeah, but I mean, she just embraced it. It wasn't like a complication for her. It wasn't like a, a weapon, or it wasn't a, a currency, or it wasn't a, a, a conflict. It was just, it was just a means to an end for her, and she also seemed to enjoy it. Right, so she was just very positive about it. Whereas a lot of the other characters had negative uh, emotions around it, or, or you know, dynamic around it. Yeah, I guess a lot of the other characters were tied to cheating or infidelity, like different. It was more of a negative connotation where even if you agree with her lifestyle or not, she herself didn't think it was that big of a deal to use sex to make money and to have a good time. So I see what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I need to ruminate on that. That's interesting. But um, Mia was definitely one who dressed really well. I like <laughs> Um, Ishmael thinks she was the best dress, but like that last outfit in this episode, I want it. Like that red number, so cute. Well, actually, she had a white number on the very last scene, but there was a red number she was wearing. I was like, that is fire, you know? Wait, um, or Lucia? I'm sorry, Lucia. Okay. Phew. Yeah. Gosh. David. Last night, David and I were like, Mia's wardrobe is just so bad this season. But deliberately, obviously, and that's her character, right? Which is just hilarious. It was. It made me laugh every time I saw her outfit. Honestly. Yeah, Lucia's outfits were amazing. Yes, they really were. Mm-hmm. Um. Oh yeah, and then lastly, like about Lucia specifically, and and Albie, like. Okay. Um, morally, like in the real world, if this happened to somebody where my dopey friend, you know, got conned by a prostitute, would I really be feeling like happy for the prostitute? I don't think so. But in this world, I am like kind of happy because I think seeing where Albie comes from, right? Like his dad and his grandfather. Knowing that his dad and grandfather have been in the game, his dad is still in the game and kind of knows, you know what I mean? Like he's using words like Mark. So he kind of knows women <laughs> pretty well, you know? Um, all types of women very well. So I'm like, okay, Albie had access to better information. Albie didn't have to be a big. He didn't have to be because he had his dad, right? To like let him know what was really up. But as my husband said, Albie couldn't really receive that because he was judging his dad. I know, David, you think, you know, there was something kind of, I don't know, more, what's the word? I don't know, more family friendly going on with that situation. I just think Albie, I don't think Albie knew he was going to get conned. I don't believe that, you know. So I, I am happy for Lucia in that. You know, that, okay, she at least got this $50,000 from somebody who uh, could afford it, somebody who knew better but just chose not to be better. And yeah, not going to come look for it. So he kind of volunteered the money. So I think uh, she really, really lucked out in that. So for that, I am happy for her. Yeah, she'll make better use of the money than he will. And just by that, I mean, she'll have fun with it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Anything else on these two ladies? I don't think so. Okay. All right. We are moving on. 
to oh my god the idiots the married people so couple and uh theo james and uh what's oh girl so oh my god who wants to start oh my book okay i'm not gonna lie i liked the episode last night but the way their storylines ended really pissed me off oh because ethan and Harper basically compromised themselves and became identical to Cameron and Daphne. And that just really frustrated me because with Ethan, per se, we all know what he is. He has no backbone. He's very spineless. Another wayward individual. But the way he let Cameron have sex with his wife and he didn't do nothing, I just can't rock with that. There's no way in hell I'm going to dinner with a man who just should boink my wife. <laughs> it's just not a thing. It has. Oh, go ahead, David. Well, but but what if you had also done that to his wife, and you knew you had done that to his wife? I mean, bear in mind, not in your psychology, in their psychology. See, and that's the difference because I'm thinking from my psychology. That's why I was just like, it's crazy to me. But I agree with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God. Yeah. It's like, David, why are you defending this so hard? But as a viewer, it was frustrating because, again, e Ethan doesn't get off by doing that. This has been Cameron's pattern since they were an undergrad. So for him, again, he compromised who he was in order to make himself feel better. But in essence, did he feel better? He just kind of went with the flow. Then he went back to his spineless self. So that really pissed me off. Now, with Cameron, he was the biggest loser. When you think about that last shot of them in the airport, he still looks very, like, aloof. When you think about the reason that he even invited Harper and Ethan to that trip, one, I think it was to hit on Harper for sure, but the other element was the business side of things. Harper had foreshadowed that early in the season. Ethan couldn't see it, but do you think Ethan is now going to work with him? Hell no. So it's like he really lost a lot, you know, because of his pride and ego. And his wife got shaboined. We disagree on many things there, interestingly. Um, and I'll jump into it. I, I, firstly, I, uh, I, I'm really satisfied with how the four of them ended. Um, it was a real good twist, in my opinion. Like it just, they had resisted the the idea of Cameron and Daphne the whole season, and they just couldn't understand how they walked through life and how they accepted it. And slowly and slowly and slowly, Daphne and Cameron wore them down. And in the end, Harper and, and Ethan were just like, fuck, like, actually, we have a really shit life. We, we're not attracted to each other. We don't trust each other at this point. Like, if we want to save our marriage, what do we do? So in the end, it was like, okay, to me, it was them saying to themselves, we, to save our marriage, to kind of live a happy marriage in how we want to do things, we have to be more that way. And I don't think they're going all the way to Cameron and Ethan, uh, sorry, Cameron and um, Daphne. Um, but I think they're just going like, you know, enough for them to kind of give them enough freedom and like, and to take that, that lack of trust out of the equation and make it something that's like, turn it into something that's a bit more sexy, I guess, and a bit more exciting than the pain and anxiety that it's tended to give them both to that point. 
So I, I was really satisfied that like they, Cameron and Daphne, who are seasoned pros at this, had really kind of brought them around to their, and it was like, I didn't see it coming at all, uh, which I, I really like. I just was like, so, so satisfyingly surprised that that's how they ended up. Uh, I think they're all so icky. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think as, you know, as someone watching the show and as characters and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, they're they're great characters. It was compelling to watch. It was interesting on a personal level. It made me feel gross that by the end they did compromise and that the message that's being sent is that in order to keep your marriage alive, they have to spice it up with lying and cheating or keeping mystery um that's not my vibe so that just made me feel kind of like oh is that that's how they're gonna leave it is that they have to be more like that <clears throat> in order for their marriage to survive um but it's a show but that's just my personal from my personal psychology I didn't love that um I guess for the show it works and we'll see I heard there's a rumor that Aubrey Plaza might return for the next season so we'll see if they turned it that way for a reason um yeah I don't know. I, I, I didn't, I didn't love it. I, I, and I kind of wanted there to be a little bit more drama between them. Obviously we know where the drama ended up being, but they were still fantastic characters. All of them. Yeah. I really did want Ethan to do something else to uh, Cameron and it just didn't happen. I agree. I also agree. Yeah. You know, it felt like it could have been a more explosive at the end there, but um, but interestingly, I guess there's an interesting part of that in that Cameron is a volatile guy, as we saw early on, and we were kind of led to believe that. And it was Ethan that obviously, expo- you know, fought him in the ocean. Um, so it's actually kind of again, it's a bit of a twist that there wasn't more violence there, and it was dealt with by by words to some extent with Daphne. Um, but also by sex, right? Which is what the show's about. And that's, you kind of use that as the the weapon of choice to kind of swing him to their side and their way of thinking. Um, and I just thought it was a really, it just, it was a really crafty way of layering in the theme of the season to kind of, to, to switch that perception. Oh, and then there was a moment where we thought that Daphne might be the murderer. Mm. Did you guys have that thought at all when she was taking him out to the island? We were like, oh, wait, for a second, she was talking about murder podcasts in the beginning and how she thought it was really hot or whatever. So maybe it was like, maybe she was going to kill him to keep him quiet to protect Cameron. So I guess we still don't really know what happened there. We can assume what that they hooked up, that she and Ethan hooked up. But for a second, we did think it was going to murder. Um, the one thing also something you said, Ishmael, which was that Cameron was the biggest loser or one of the biggest losers. Um the interesting thing about that, which was really confirmed in this episode, I think, is that his kids likely aren't his kids, right? They're they're like they're kids of another relationship. Like Daphne mentions it a couple of times. Um, one, she even at one point shows Harper a, a picture of the hot trainer with blonde hair, blue eyes, and it turns out to be the kids. Oh, you know, wrong one, um, which is a big tell. And then at the end when um cameron's in the bathroom and she's on the phone to the kids and she's like come and say hi and he's like oh god you know to me that that resistance was part of him like they're not my kids i'm just showing up i'm just doing my part for this to carry on working the way it's working i didn't even pick up on that yeah yeah i think he knows they're not his kids yeah 
They these, super- these two go deep, man. They go deep. They're so fucked up. Yeah, I'm with you, Coco. <laughs> they super nasty. Yeah. Oh. Damn, I didn't think about that. Ugh. So um, why be with her then? I mean, clearly they have an understanding, right? They 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 have a way of working things. Like they're a they're a power couple focused on money, and they they that's what their aim is. They they want to live a certain life, and they understand that to, to, for both of them to live the lives they want to lead, they have to do it. They have to do certain things and accept certain things from each other. And they've clearly been doing it for at least three kids worth. So you know, at least six years of their lives. So another two, three, four on top of that, like it's 10 years, they've got it down. Functional dysfunction. That's good, though, that you said power couple, because they are two very committed people. They're committed to the institution, you Mm -hmm. know? And so if it is about being a power couple, then that makes so much sense. If it's to build wealth, build whatever, they're going to do it together no matter what. Very like... This isn't that fair to say, but the closest thing to it, I think, knowing that two people are actually not that happy with each other, but kind of have good times, are like Jada Pinkett and Will Smith, you know? Oh, Even though I don't really think they have good times. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, it is what it is. We're committed to the institution. We're staying here. We're better together than apart, you know, kind of thing. So, um, so if that's the case, like, we're assuming that's what the goal is then it makes me even sadder for Cameron, Cameron, Ethan and Harper because they don't really have a goal, I don't think. You know, like, what are they, what are they, why are they actually together? As we learn, they don't have a foundation. They don't actually trust each other. They're not attracted to each other. Then, then what is the glue that's keeping them together is my thing, so... Well, I think it goes back to what David said. Like, you identify Cameron and Harper as, no, not Harper, Jesus, Cameron and Daphne as the power couple who understand, like, hey, we're building something here and we're committed to that. But when you look at Ethan and um, Harper, maybe they married for love. Because remember, she asked him. Oh, interesting. And he was like, I love you. That was his first response. So maybe that's the manifestation manifestation of that just to give us as viewers the dichotomy of power versus love mm, interesting thought mm. um the the other thing i'll say on that with cameron and daphne is that uh they actually do really trust each other and not they don't trust each other in the sense that they're not going to cheat on each other they trust each other in the sense that they will always have each other's backs and they'll always come home and they'll always do anything they can to support each other in whatever they're doing, as regardless of how fucked up it is. That's a, they have a real trust with each other and a bond in that way. And, and you know that was obviously the thing that lacked with Ethan and Harper, and and kind of they kind of came around to in the end, just thinking about it in a different way. Yeah, I think the whole thing's just weird and emotionally abusive. That's kind of what it's built on. Is like they. Uh, even if they, okay, they respect the institution, but Daphne and Cameron, they both go do their own thing and then hold it over the other person to a point to make them jealous enough to have passionate sex again. And it's just based, like, all of their roots are rooted in 
weird shit. <laughs> like it's just like the things that root them are just uh, sort of hurtful, I guess. And then uh, for them, it works, I guess. But it just seems super, super unhealthy. So um, yeah, I don't know. It's a weird one. How do you think that when they were children? How do you think their lives were? Oh God! <laughs> I'm lots just of, kidding. Lots of parent wounds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're the trauma couple. Definitely. Anything else on these married people? No, I'm, I'm just, I'm satisfied with their, their ending. I'm satisfied. Yep. Me too. She needs some Me water. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. Help That's you. right, Coco, keep your man hydrated. <laughs> That's right. Water for water. Um, next we have Portia. Poor Portia. Poor Portia. Well, or really lucky Portia. Almost yeah, potentially got true. murdered and then didn't. And also some really frustrating Portia. What the hell are you I doing? I feel the worst for Portia in respect to, and maybe this is me just viewing it from my psyche. I'm thinking about what happens to her outside of the script. When she returns back to the States, they're gonna. Act, she's gonna be questioned significantly. You went on a work trip with your boss, who died, and when we checked these phone records, you were calling her, you know, profusely. What happened? And she has a lot of knowledge as to what transpired, but can't necessarily speak on it because mm-hmm. what did Mr. Fleabottom say to her? Hey, these are powerful people. <laughs> you know, that's my Essex accent. But, um, <laughs> So I actually feel the worst for her. And again, it has to do with what happens off the script. Yeah, she's got a lot coming. Mm-hmm. And also, why didn't like why didn't she run so many times? Thank you, Coco. Thank we, we were frustrated you. by that. Frustrating. Because <laughs> I said that and you were like, no, she needs to stay or something. Well, from a story perspective, she had to stay because she had to get away at the end, you know, so they had to kind of keep her lingering and kind of keep that drama. That's all who, it was. Okay, even after he stole her phone and she kind of knew he stole her phone and she called Portia and then Portia gave her that information. That is definitely running point number one. Number two, the second time she got in the car and then asked if she was being kidnapped. <laughs> But got in the car first and then asked if she was being kidnapped. I was like, this is not believable. There should have been an attempt. That's what I'm saying. Like, it could, I would have believed her attempting to run and then, oh boy, would have, you know, got her. You know, but at least I, I would have appreciated, yes, because remember he said it was his job. He is a human trafficking story. Okay. Like he is going to do his job. Otherwise he's he's got something terrible coming. So he's going to run after this lady. All right. But yeah, Portia is what a sad person. All she wanted to do was go to Sicily, have a good time in her depression. And then it turns out her damn boss is killed by some gay people, some random gays. <laughs> not not so random um but um uh i was saying to coco yesterday after we watched it the you know as we talked about in this season she has been depressed or like we suspect that she's depressed and and you know kind of giving those signs uh the 
the positive for her at the end of this is this experience, this near death experience where she could have, you know, gone in a moment, um, will hopefully wake her up, right? Will hopefully kind of just like pull her out of the depression she's in and kind of like, oh shit, actually I want to live, right? There's a moment of like, oh my God, there's so much to live for. So I feel like there is that part of it is a happy ending for Portia. But as you also said, Ishmael, you know, there's going to be questions asked about Tanya here and and um, and maybe she just, she speaks to it, you know, because at that point she feels safer. She's back in America, whatever. Um, but let me ask you all a question. Uh, do you think if Lucia was in that situation, she would have gotten in the car? <laughs> Man, she would have had, you know, snipers on the roof. She would have had a little whisper. <laughs> right. That that would never be you, okay? She is too smart for that. No way. So so do you think, so I wonder, um, the writing, again, Mike White, that like the two younger uh, American kids, Albie and Portia, both essentially just kind of duped to some extent and naive. And then you've got Lucia and Mia. Mia was more naive, but she quickly learned. Um, and Lucia, like there's, there's, there's a deliberate difference in those uh, mentalities and how they're kind of walking through life. I think there. And it could be a socioeconomic thing too. I yeah. agree. Money, 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 money makes it easy. Well, yes, but what I'm saying is, though, you know, Mia and Lucia seem like they're at the bottom, right? To be a prostitute, you have to be in some serious situation to think, okay, I need to sell my body for some money. That's how I feel. Most of them, at least. And, you know, Albie, Albie is from a very well-to-do family. Um, Portia, I think, well, yeah, Portia, she had like a rich boss. And I assume, you know, she was making good money as an assistant and then was able to go to Sicily with her. You know what I'm saying? So you have these two cushy kids contrasted with these other two kids who are from the bottom. I think socioeconomic plays a lot in terms of, how they were able to develop common sense and street smarts a little mm -hmm. faster than the other two. Exactly. I agree. Very true. Mm -hmm. uh, but Albie was looking pretty good by the end of the episode, huh? <laughs> to Portia? That's what she get. She, <laughs> she did me and Tanya warned her, don't be chasing that fast ass. Go get your son. <laughs> and Albie was the simp that she essentially needed, but and again, Tanya tried to warn her, but she didn't listen to it and look at the bullshit she ended up in. But I'm going to say that, and I disagree with my boo on, like, this could have been either social commentary on social economic status or um, Americans versus Europeans mm -hmm. and how you value different money. I think about Mia and Lucia, I didn't think they were poor by no means. I didn't think that they were out here, you know, scrapping for money or excuse me scrapping for food or trying to figure out how bills are going to get paid i feel like they were very well capable women who were just back to your earlier point david just sex positive like hey i like having sex might as well get paid for it mm -hmm. um agreed um yes i'm just thinking coco sorry she, coco's dragging me to the microphone but i'm just thinking for a moment god <laughs> <laughs> is in the details <laughs> Well, as you're thinking, I just want to say, yeah, I the sex positive thing came back up, so I got to say it. I just, yeah, I don't think so. Like, I, hmm, jobs in general, right? Most people don't even enjoy their job. Then you have people in, are literally coming in your body. That's your job. 
Okay. And as a woman, I'm sorry, I gotta I gotta paint the picture so you guys know what I'm talking about. As a we're receiving, you know, and so there's a eat, okay. You know, I love having such love. Okay, it's wonderful. Okay. So the thing is though, after that, I, I mean Coco, do you know where I'm trying to go? It's a lot of work. I'm just okay. gonna say I'd be exhausted. I could never do that job. My God, not just right mentally, but your is exhausted. Your whole body. I mean, my God. So that's why I think it's interesting that guys are using the word sex positive. Like I just again, if she had other options, I just don't. I don't think she would be choosing this life. I just I don't I don't think so. <laughs> Pardon me. Um, I, uh, Sorry, David's going through puberty on this. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. If I start getting high pitched, then um, ignore it, please. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think they. I think they made a choice, like the same as Mia made the choice uh, to do it for her. You know, she wasn't in that frame of mind, and she's like, actually, yeah, I can see the positives of this. Why wouldn't I do this? Right? This is. It's easy to do. I can make money. I get what I want from it. And Lucia, I suspect, is the same way. Like she kind of, from episode one to episode seven, she did go on a journey as well. Like even in that week, she kind of, she grew and, and the way she was thinking about it and using it um, seemed to kind of be more sophisticated towards the end. Do you just mean that Lucia's attitude towards sex was not like guilty? Yeah, it wasn't negative. It that's wasn't. What, is that what, I'm just clarifying. Yeah. Like that's what you mean by sex positive. Not that like her whole career choice was a positive thing, but that her attitude personally towards choosing it was she didn't have like all this guilt wrapped up in it. Exactly. It wasn't a negative thing. Like it wasn't. It wasn't like most people in that show in their like sex was a negative thing in their lives. Positive at times, sure, but it was a negative like dynamic in their lives. Whereas for her, it was a positive thing. I see what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, But, but Portia, the one thing I do want to really highlight, because God, this was one of the most stressful TV episodes, sorry, scenes in a TV series I've ever watched. But when they're on the phone, Tanya's on the boat and Portia's, oh my God, my heart was racing (laughs) out. It was out of my chest, honestly. Oh my God. I'm so glad she had the wherewithal to like get his phone and call. First of all, who even remembers people's phone numbers? I was like, what the hell? You know? <laughs> I only never had no more. Okay. And I just learned that. But to like know my boss's number, I'm like, wow. Um, that's amazing. Um, it was very stressful. And I'm so glad she got it out of her mouth because I'm sure she was like, you know, like crazy in her mind she doesn't know what the hell is going on she didn't throw up you know like nothing you know um yeah it was crazy wait are we moving to tanya well no. we were finishing up on Portia. oh sorry okay yeah. it, it, does anybody have anything else on Portia? uh aside from the fact that i i feel like the next season she's going to be involved somehow because we kind of have to see how that unravels with greg right yeah, probably. And and I do want to make an honorable mention here, which is the boy, the the guy from Essex, you know, Jack. That's his name. That is name. Jack the lad. Yeah. Oh. Where did you hear this from? <laughs> she what? she said it in when in the car when when they're in the car and the other insanely stressful moment. She says Jack. 
Yeah, I think it is Jack. You might be right. That's not his real name, then. This is again a human trafficking story. I don't even know a Jack. That sounds crazy that. as hell. To me. Jack, that's nuts. No. <laughs> Why? It doesn't sound right. It doesn't sound right. I'm sorry. It does not sound right. It, I, I can tell you being a British guy and just being that makes this a perfectly normal name for some. My, my nephew um, is uh, in his early 20s as well, and his name is Jack. Get out of here. <laughs> wow. Well, anyway, I don't like it. It doesn't sound right. So I'm going to go with that. The uh, old boy from this. So um, I was scared that he was going to like go crazy because when she got in the car and she starts talking about, yeah, like, so you F your uncle. I thought he was about to like, mm-hmm. I just didn't know what was going to happen. I thought maybe he was going to slap her or do something physical to her. And I guess it just caught him so off guard, you know? Um, but yeah, I yeah, I don't know. But um, I wonder what's going to happen to him because, you know, everybody's dead. You know what I'm saying? And so... He does have he does have Quentin's credit card and his car, though. So he's going to have a good time before it ends up. Well, yeah, but then he has to go into hiding, doesn't he? I mean, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they're going to trace him. They're going to mm-hmm. trace it back. He can't, like... His credit card can't be going off after he's dead. They're going to be like, okay, who has That's his credit card? Dead giveaway. Mm-hmm. So for Jack, yeah, I'm like, he's free and I'm happy about that um, because he really believed that he was in a better situation than his flea bottom situation. <laughs> um, well, I am, <laughs> I'm curious to know where he goes from here. So That's all I wanted to say about him. Does anybody have anything else to say about Jack? Gross. No, he just was very well cast. He was a very scary dude when he went dark. Agreed. <laughs> yes, very wonderful, excellent, <laughs> just beautiful. You just said that so so wonderfully, Coco. <laughs> Ew. Moving on. So we're moving on to the last, uh, last character. You know the whole reason why we even came on this journey of why go to season two oh season my two. god oh my god done it. and the one who done it was tanya and who does she do it to the gays and with what not a wrench or a thumbnail but uh so where do we want to start david i know you want to start go ahead <laughs> whoa <laughs> um I just also just to highlight that the the way this all played out, uh, Coco and I were kind of shouting at the television at several moments, just like, you know, the, the fear for Tanya, just like the, just in the, in the moment, just kind of getting into her psychology, knowing she's in the middle of an ocean on a boat with three guys, one's coming up, you know, who we know is a gun and is part of the mafia. She's just terrifying. And the fact that she kept her cool as she did the whole time speaks so much to her character. Um, and I love it. And then, um, you know, I won't jump t- too far ahead, but kind of when we get to the climactic moment where she kind of comes out firing, it's just like, you know, the squinting eyes, just like the, 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 the kind of the hoping and just, it was just everything I would hope from that scene. Like it really just, it was everything I you wanted in that moment that she was going to get away and she was going to beat the guys. And the fact that she didn't beat herself in the end, I'm okay with that. Like I said to Coco, I would I would have been really unsatisfied if the guys had killed her 
but I was I was I was satisfied that she had died. I was okay with it because of the way it happened and that she had succeeded over the guys to get to that point. Um, but I'll, I'll let you guys jump in now, but that's my overall. Yeah, I was just going to say, at first, I've come around to the way that Tanya has died, but at first I was pissed that that's how she died. <laughs> because, not that I love that she... I guess I wanted her to have the confrontation with Greg. That was the only thing I was missing was I was really hoping Greg was going to show up and she was going to get, even if she ended up dying after that, that she let Greg know that she knew everything or I just wanted her to have that moment because she just had so many people pull the wool over her eyes. I, I just wish she had that. But I also get the way that she died. I'm glad she died on her own, as Mike White said in the little episode thing afterwards that she died her own derpy death <laughs> like that that was like a very tanya way to go and that her last words were you got this girl so <laughs> she, she didn't have it um and just on the greg note quickly with coco um one of her other last lines were to quentin oh. it was greg cheating on me and that was greg just, having an affair it was greg having an affair oh my god so naive so... to the end Mike White, I love you so much. It's just what a great line. And she's it's so Tanya and it's just it says everything. Like even she's just killed three people or two and a half people at that point. It's like, is was Greg having an affair? That's all I want to know. <laughs> I just I know you know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Tanya. What an amazing she's just perfect. Jennifer Coolidge. She really is. What a what So what 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 are your twos overall with the the ending, Tanya? I was satisfied with it. I thought it was perfect. I felt the same way as you, Coco, for sure. Uh, But uh, I found her demise to be perfect. You know, like, it was brilliant writing. It really was. It was. (laughs) It It was was operatic. Greg succeeded, okay? Like, in what he wanted. Um, I know my boo has, like, an opinion on the success part of Greg, but in general, um, Tanya, first of all, we have to talk about the iconic line, right? She goes up to the captain. <laughs> and she's like, the gays, they're trying to kill me. And he, <laughs> the captain doesn't even speak English, but he understands gay. I didn't realize gay was gay was gay in every language because gay is gay. <laughs> I'm like, dang. Um, and so he's like, Tootie something gay, meaning I'm gay too. Like, what are you talking about? So her saying that was so iconic and so good. And what I appreciated is it wasn't like a slur at all. She, you know, she's just trying to like wrap around uh, her, her mind around the fact that people are trying to kill her and what she knows them as are the gay. <laughs> so they <laughs> are killing me is amazing. Um, I think that she, am I going to say this? I think that, yeah, I think she deserved to die in this episode. Um, When we think about it, and this is going to be very controversial, I guess. (laughs) Tanya definitely has moments, right? Where I love her. I think she's funny, all this kind of stuff. But she also was very like selfish and kind of mean to people. You know what I mean? And like not the greatest. So maybe I shouldn't say deserve. Nobody deserves to die. But I feel like 
like I wasn't heartbroken completely over the fact that she died. I felt like she kind of got a little bit of karmic retribution, in my opinion. I agree. I think it was right for her to go in this season for sure. Yeah, I think the thing with Tanya, which we can safely say after two seasons and going through what she's gone through this season, she's never going to change, right? She is the person she's always going to be. So kind of her dying at that moment isn't, you know, there's no, there's nothing like, oh, she, something could have been different. Something could have changed. She could have had this. She could have done this. She could have done that. She was going to carry on doing the same thing she was always doing and, you know, or had been doing recently and she's never going to change. Um, and also, she, you know, she's gone back to Greg, there would have more pain and suffering and she, she's vulnerable to that. You know, it gets her down. It's, it's difficult for her. Um, like it obviously is for everyone, but she is, you know, she's kind of stunted a bit in her, um, uh, mental age, I think. Um, you know, and so I think her going it's, it's for her, it's not the worst thing in that moment. And also what I want to say that I realized is remember in season one, she um like threw her mom's ashes in the water and then she ended up dying in the water. Oh like, you know, I don't know if Mike White even meant to do that, but mm. um I thought that was cool. She returned to the ocean with her mama. Mm-hmm. So, or maybe that. Her water. Yeah, nice note. <laughs> um go on Ishmael, please. I had such a wide range of emotions as that whole situation unraveled on that yacht to your point just watching her contain all of that anger rage fear um disappointment as she had that conversation with portia and just kind of went through the day installing buying for time knowing what these people are attempting to do to her it was just masterful but all of them underestimated Tanya's ability to be Tanya. Mm-hmm. When she saw that bag, no one, including me as a viewer, would have anticipated Tanya to go get that bag mm-hmm. and go see what's in it, right? No, I disagree with that. Really? Oh, please, David. Oh, please, David. <laughs> because I felt as if, you know, Tanya's kind of, you know, mentally all over the place and you know she's not a very detail-oriented person in my opinion so just to kind of see her do that it was like oh wow you know that was character development and growth for me but i also think the uncle was arrogant in the fact of having that picture in that bedroom where she was it's also like he underestimated tanya to be tanya Mm -hmm. so that was just like watching her come out of that bathroom the emotion that she displayed. And I was like, oh, yeah, she out here killing folks. Bah, bah, bah. I got super excited. <laughs> the way she died was so funny to me because I'm like, there are stairs on the back of the boat. On the back I know, of the boat. I know. Ugh. That's that's the funny, the, that's the punchline, isn't it, right? That's it. 100%. And I'm just like, <laughs> this can't be serious. <laughs> but I think with her, it was just like, um, Greg, I just couldn't believe the links that he would go to get the money. That was just mind blowing, but it, it, it's wild. But I think about season one where they're in the hotel and she's giving him, in my opinion, all of the ammo he needed to navigate her. He gave her everything. She gave him everything. 
hey, I have this problem. I'm struggling with this. My mom treated me poorly. I'm very insecure. And he just took mental notes of that and he used that and weaponized it along with, is it Oliver, the uncle? Quentin. So he weaponized it and devised his plan with Quentin and it really addressed everything that she talked about in season one. Not Oliver, but... Who the hell is Oliver? I don't know. Some random English name he is. That is hilarious. He's the guy that needs more soup. <laughs> yeah, he is. Okay, oh, Kristen, Jack. Really quick. So, okay, so I do disagree with you a little bit, Boo. I think the the only reason why it clicked for uh, Tanya was because of Portia. Without that phone call, I think she would have still been in the clouds. So when Portia told her, then she like started the puzzle pieces, you know, kind of went together. You know what I mean? So I think Portia was the one that actually saved her life. But I'm glad she put them together. Um, and then one last thing. I'm so sorry, David. Sorry, sorry. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because there was a theme here too of there are a whole bunch of things that were inferred that we didn't see. And I appreciated that because, and I talked about this before, intuition. Not in, yeah, intuition or just putting stuff together. So we were able to like infer that Ethan and Harper had sex, right? We were able to infer, and not Ethan and Harper, Ethan and uh, their names are really Daphne. <laughs> Daphne had sex. It was inferred that uh, Cameron and Harper had sex, and it was inferred that um, this guy was going to kill her because we saw the tools to kill somebody. So I appreciated that a lot, that we don't necessarily have to see stuff or even see the 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 literal beginnings of something to know that it's about to happen. Mm-hmm. Human of us, you know. Yeah, and what's what's um additionally interesting about that, Jen, I'll add to that, um against credit to Mike White is I said this Coco, <clears throat> there's no moment in the entire seven episodes that is wasted. Every scene in that show is of value and that's mm-hmm. that's great writing. Um, but but to the point where, as you say, some of those scenes infer other scenes, which is also just even more incredible. It's like a whole other layer um, of writing skill. Um, so again, as much credit to Mike White as we give him 10 times more. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, what, I'll, what I'll highlight um, from an emotional standpoint is uh, I love the choices they made about just keeping the camera on Tanya through that whole scene. Yeah. Uh, it just, mm-hmm. oh, like, if they'd been cutting away and saying, it wouldn't have had half the effect, but just seeing her through the day and through the season and it build up and suspicions and then it come to reality is like, oh, again, the heart racing, that he's like pumping out the chest, just, just seeing her face and just like crying her eyes out, holding the gun at the door and just, oh, just oh. incredibly well done. And thrilling and terrifying and um, anxiety inducing and just really fantastic. And obviously, you know, credit Jennifer Coolidge because those scenes, man, were just out of this world. And and if she doesn't win, you know, the Emmys and the Globes again next year or whatever, that's just criminal. Um, honestly, she's just, she's up to, if she won it this year, she's up to her game so much in season two. It's incredible. I agree. I agree. Mm-hmm. And then a question for you guys. Um, do you guys think Quentin is dead? Yeah. I think so. Because didn't they say there was three dead bodies on the boat? Yeah. And then one of and then one was a guest, or was there three there was one dead hotel guest and uh, I can't remember. I think he's dead. 
I mean, he was shot through the heart pretty much, right? You and know, he was like, like gargling up blood yeah. at the end. Yeah. I also like that touch, actually, that he wasn't dead out of that, that moment. And she got that kind of the comical question, obviously, about <laughs> Greg, which is just so funny. And, and she says it, and he's like, the blood comes out of his mouth. It's just, it's so White Lotus and it's so Tanya mm -hmm. and it's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Anything else on Tanya and Greg and these guys? I mean, season three, right? I mean, we know that Greg, at the moment, Greg's the winner. He got what he wanted. But let's be honest, it's, it's you know, the Porsche element of it. It's going to come back to him one way or another. That that guy isn't going to get away with it, um, which will be a, an interesting thing to see next season. And my suspicion on that is... Um, I think Mike White kind of alluded to it being in Asia the next season. Um, you know, I guess Thailand maybe or the Philippines or something. And maybe Greg is out there kind of uh, sunning himself, uh, you know, kind of in his victory lap, just enjoying the money. And Coco, you had a, a thought about that with the, the theme that he suggested. Oh, do you want me to share yeah, that now? Please. Oh, I, I was wondering, well, I guess I was just hoping to see Jennifer Coolidge again in a different way. And I thought, I know Mike White said that they're going to be playing around with what's like spirituality in the afterlife or Buddhism or something like that. Reincarnation, that kind of stuff. So maybe next season, uh, maybe we see Greg grappling with like the haunting of like the ghost of, of her. Like he doesn't really get away with it. Maybe she's like... Who knows? Maybe he goes into the situation where, like, even if it's just in his own psychology, he's like having visions of her, or she's mm -hmm. fucking with him, or something from the beyond. <laughs> the ghost of the White Lotus present. Yeah. And he lost his lover at the same time. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, you got the money, but to what end? Well, it, that's that's one thing we never got actually clarity on is that Quentin and him were lovers. I just want to, cause that's a, like when Quentin tells the story originally, he says that Greg was straight. He wasn't gay. And regardless of them not having that romantic relationship, he would still do anything for him to this day. So that I, I put from what the, they were putting down, I don't think that they were romantically connected. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure. I actually don't know if they were together or not. I don't know how I feel about that. Maybe. Do you think you're going to be able to sleep tonight? He said he was straight. He used that word. I, I, I'm pretty sure when he says the story, I, I can't remember if it's exactly the word straight, but it's the 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 um the emphasis was that he wasn't he wasn't gay and they weren't in a romantic relationship. But regardless, you know, he still was very fond of him and would do anything for him. Mm, yeah that's an interesting take but i i thought the tanya line was so funny of her saying that he have an affair because it's inferred but maybe yeah, that's that's what I thought it was inferred. that he did have an affair with this guy or something something was going on maybe he allowed him to hit it or something and be like okay <laughs> uh, after i let you break me off can you uh help me kill my wife so we can get this money you know, whatever it is, something's, I feel like a sexual favor is in there. Well, I mean, look, think of the logistics of that affair just quickly. Um, Quentin lived in Italy. Uh, Greg lived in wherever he lived with Tanya. Um, they hadn't seen each other, you know, they were, were not in the same continent. Um, Quentin lived a, a lifestyle that he was living with all the money and he was running out of money, needed money. He kept in contact with Greg because they're close. You know, Greg's like, I want to get out of this relationship. There's tons of money here. 
you know, to me, that's what happened. There's like, oh, look, we could do something here. We can both get away from this and uh, get what we want out of it. So like, I, thank you for presenting that. And I hear that. But I guess what my mind is like, you're going to call your homie to devise a plan to kill your wife? Maybe because the leverage, maybe it's because he knows, he knew Quentin liked them like that. So if you've ever had somebody in your life where you're like, you know. Uh, but to kill? There are people, listen. They, people if, kill for less, man. You, yeah. You know, if somebody wants you enough or has the, you kind of give them an idea that maybe they could get close to you or something. If you did X, Y, and Z, then they would. There are people desperate enough to do that. Half half a billion dollars. Remember that. That's right. I think I I read that just a little off the cuff thing earlier. Uh, to get like the million versus a billion, like a million uh seconds is like eleven days, whereas a billion seconds is like thirty one point five years. Right. So half a billion. That's that's a hell of a lot of money. That's like you know life changing for several people. That amount of money. Well, are we supposed to believe that Greg married her because he actually liked her or? In my mind, I thought he married her because he was planning this all along. Like, like he didn't just stumble into this on accident. Like, she was targeted. Or am I wrong? I, yeah, I, th- I think it evolved. Like, I think he, he got into a relationship maybe because he liked her, but also maybe because he needed cancer money. He needed to, to survive cancer, right? He needed treatment. Mm. And then it kind of evolved to the point where he then realized, actually, I can't live with Tanya uh, this is not for me and also but I want the money but there's a prenup in place how do I get the money right all right just my opinion <laughs> um, but all in all super satisfying like I just one of the best finales one of the best seasons of any show um, I think it just really just killed it I agree. pun intended it was so good it was I agree anything else on Tanya and Greg no. R.I.P. Tanya. Yeah, R.I.P. Tanya. Yeah, and 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 those heels she was wearing as she was climbing over the side, and you're oh. screaming like, "Take your goddamn shoes off, woman!" Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What did I say last night? He said that. <laughs> 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 that was when you. That was when you knew it was going to go bad. <laughs> but also when she didn't go down the stairs at the back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's. <laughs> that too. So coincidentally, the Golden Globe Award nominees came out today, and uh, Miss Coolidge is on the list. For, oh, is it actress or supporting actress? Best actress? Like, what is it called? Main actress, supporting actress, whatever. Mm-hmm. I think it's leading and supporting, right? There we go. Yeah, I feel like she might be leading in this one because it was right. really it was her season. This one, wasn't it? Yeah. So she's nominated for that. But more important than the Golden Globe nomination, we have a Golden Globes, okay? And so we are going to give out awards for people in our categories that we think are super important. Um, so the first one, most hated award. Who should the most hated award go to? I'll start. Albie. I hate him just because, actually, no, Ethan, that's a damn lie. Ethan is the most hated. He sickens me. <laughs> You've hated him from the beginning. Like, there was no love for that man right away. It's been consistent because I'm like, why do you 
even get the blessing of being a man. And you just don't do what you're supposed to do. And you let another man play in your face. That dinner scene from this episode, oh Never. my God. Never. Ethan and Harper are sitting there, understandably, looking crazy, upset, sad, all the things by themselves. Here comes Cameron and Daphne like nothing happened. Okay. Hey, y'all, what's going on? Oh, no, no. Why didn't you tell us? You were having dinner. Let's sit After they then effed each other's spouses, after Ethan gave Cameron a big shiner, you just would think, no, I mean, what is that? And so for Ethan to have not said it, I'm just like, I'm done with you, sir. So that's the most hated award. The audacity of coming to that dinner like that. <laughs> I'm just going to say Cameron. Cameron is my least, most hated. I think just his his character, his person it's just a disgusting person and and probably probably the best example of one of the archetypes uh, one of the biggest problems on our planet right now um is epitomized in cameron so he's got to be the most hated for me yeah i was gonna say cameron but daphne was slipping a little uh, at the end for me as the whole time i was kind of feeling bad for her and then at the end i was like oh she's twisted and then she was like just going with it, just rolling with like she liked the darkness, and I was like, I think I just, yeah, we'll put, well, I'm gonna put Cameron in. He was a mark. He betrayed his father for a hoe. That's the type of mark I've ever seen in my life, and he just had the audacity to be self righteous about it too. Like, if you have the opportunity to go help somebody, you help them. Right, man, get your life. He was just annoying. He was awful. And he ain't gonna go back to the States and he still ain't gonna get no ass. <laughs> yeah, he's gonna suffer, I think, for a while. All right, now we've got to pay for more hookers. Well, so the most hated, the votes they're in, and it's Cameron. We got two for Cameron. Very good. Cameron's got it. Second award, the biggest dope award. Who's the biggest dope? I mean, I would give dope to Albie. Ditto. Yeah. Yes. I, I thought you were, you were, Coco was gesturing then to me as she said that. Uh, so you won't see that in the. Big <laughs> is dope. Mm. Ethan could also be a dope. Uh, I think I'm going to go with Jack from Flea Bottom. What? Why do you think he's a slave? Why would you call him a dope? His master dead. He took the L. <laughs> you can't call a slave a Oh, they're a slave. <laughs> so anyway, the votes are in. It is definitely Okay, next one. The biggest come up. Who came up? The the best. Lucia, hands down. I agree, Lucia. I'm gonna go Valentina. I'm gonna go Lucia just because Valentina, like she had good character development, but Lucia really like she played the whole hotel. Like she she was the best chess player. All right, Lucia, it is. Lucia's got it. All right, most liked. Bird. Yeah, it's bird. What do y'all mm. think? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. But I'll go Bert as well. It's it's. I'm 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 good with that. But I think I felt nothing for Bert. He was just. He was just. 
yeah, I don't know. It just it, maybe that's why. Like it's just he just there wasn't as much drama. There wasn't as much to hate about his actions in this story. Mm. Right, he was just kind of just that levity. That so it was just kind of made it easier to like him and enjoy his presence on the screen. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. I think I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Tanya. She was just the most fun for me to watch. That that, mm. that was what I was toying with back and forth yeah. with Tanya because she's just incredible. Just every time she's on the screen, I'm excited. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to change my answer to Tanya. Yeah, that's right. Then what's the tiebreaker? What the hell is this? This is America. We can't have a tie. (laughs) (laughs) Tanya and Bert. Well, let's say Tanya because, you know, we know we're never going to see her again alive in that sense. So maybe she gets it just by default because she's out. She's gone. What's that word? Post? Post mortem. Post humus? Post humus? Humus, that's it. Is that it? Yeah. Post post eating hummus. I think that's. Oh my god. uh, No. Oh. Worst dad joke ever. No, I've got worse. I've got worse. Do it worse. So it goes to Tanya, most liked. Okay, and the last one, the most heart racing scene. Davos. Most heart racing scene. I the, the boat one is the obvious one, but I actually think the the call for me yeah. when when Portia and Tanya are on the phone when she's sitting in the room like that for me was just like seeing the realization come over both their faces and whatnot and knowing understanding the position they're both in they're both so incredibly vulnerable in that moment for me that my heart was out of my chest the the boat stuff was high up there but it didn't have like the same kind of oh fuck mate this is all going wrong at this point. Oh shit. Uh yeah, I'm gonna go with the the scene where she's shooting everyone and you, <laughs> and you can't see who she's shooting. Uh that I mean your scene, yes, my heart was racing, but in that scene my hands were just like pressed against my face and I was losing my mind. I just, that was for me, that was it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't even think she had her eyes open to be honest with you. Yeah. <laughs> no, she was like crying. She's like just closing her <laughs> eyes and shooting randomly. Exactly. She was just letting it go. For me, it was the scene with Portia and Jack where she was like, yo, you fucked your uncle. I didn't know what he was going to do. It was like, oh, shit, he may turn into the Hulk. So that was the one. That was literally the same one as me, for sure. Because he could have disappeared. Yeah, I was so afraid. I was like, oh, my God. Like, yeah, she does not know him. He has weird tattoos. I don't know what's what's happening. (laughs) Oh my god! Yeah. Well, I mean, let's let's answer that question quickly then, because uh, I think he was supposed to kill her. I think that was his job, and I think he changed. I think he changed his mind in the end. <clears throat> you think? What evidence do you have for this? Instincts, just the setup, the whole like the it's loose ends, right? Like, why wouldn't they kill her? Like, they'd be crazy to just let her go on a plane knowing everything. It's mad. Well, she, she was a gunner. So, Twitter was like, they don't think that Jack, what a weird name, that he, um, it, does, it doesn't sound right, I'm sorry, that that man, that he was supposed to kill her, like, when you think about it, remember, Greg was so mad that Portia was on the trip. So in hindsight, we now understand mm-hmm. why, because she wasn't a part of the plan. Mm-hmm. So I don't think, 
I don't think first one right. She wasn't a part of the plan, and then when she was introduced, right, they did have to figure. They did have to figure out what to do with her. But I just don't think they wanted to have Flea Bottom kill her. Just like have her out of the way, you know, but not kill her. You know, that would take some serious planning, right? Just like they had to plan to kill Tasha, not well, Tasha, Tanya, right? Yeah, I mean, what's what's knocking off one another? You know, twenty something. American girl. Yeah, but I guess she was a huge liability. So there is, I mean, I thought he might kill her when they pulled up in the dark to near the airport when he finally let her go. I was like, oh, he's taken to her warehouse. He's going to kill her because he's like, oh, we're not in the town that we're supposed to be in. Um, so maybe he was supposed to kill her because she saw everyone's faces. She knows the house. She knows everyone that was on the boat. So maybe he was supposed to get rid of her knowledge of anything. I understand that. Oh. Dang, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, the most heart-wrenching scene goes to uh, old boy yelling yeah. or Jack. Oh. <laughs> okay, anything else? Anything else on these awards, guys? I don't think so. No, that's great. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, did we already talk about our hopes for season three? We did not, but let's tell me. What do you hope for season three? See, I wish, like, before we watched the thing with Mike White after the episode, I was like, I would love for them to go to Mexico. Mexico would be amazing. Mexico Mm. and Portugal would have been, Portugal would have been nice. Um, Mexico or Portugal. But yeah, this whole East Asian thing. Yeah, Thailand would be cool. Philippines, Vietnam would be cool. Anywhere where there's water, right? Like, there's clearly a water thing here. Mm-hmm. But yeah, wherever it is, again, I don't want to see. I just want to see white people. That's it. Like, if I see others on this show, I'm going to know it's been a lot of peer pressure, you know? And I'm sure it'll be written well, whatever, but I just want the drama to stay white. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? I'm not mad at others being included because the writing is incredible. Um, yeah, prior to watching the Mike White segment, I was actually leaning towards, um, the Maldives or, um, what was my second guess? Tulum, maybe? Yeah, Mm -hmm. Tulum. So I'm just, no, it actually, it was not Tulum. It was Turks and Caicos. And I was like, man, that'd be great to see. But, um, definitely somewhere by water. I'm just happy we're getting season three. Um, I do need to see uh, a, some type of conclusion with Greg. I need to see that story wrapped up, personally. Me too. I hope they end up at the Sandals Resort with Michael Scott and Jen. I'm <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. That would be amazing. <laughs> um, I, I kind of hope for somewhere like Thailand. And after seeing the Mike White segment, I'm sort of hoping that he plays with karma and like different Mm. concepts like that and maybe brings these characters now with all their debauchery and bad choices and brings them into this environment of Buddhism and the afterlife and reincarnation and maybe gets creative with uh, mess, you know, like the, the psychology of that kind of spirituality placed on top of these deranged characters. Um, 
Yeah, I like that. Um, I like the idea of Asia um, and and uh, Asian culture, um, which is a big variety of kind of uh, how they think about mortality and uh, all the things that come under that umbrella. And that's obviously what he's trying to skewer next time around, which I really like. Um, and uh, I, Asia's just like Thailand's a really cool place. You know, there's just some wonderful countries there and just some amazing, interesting people and environments. And I also think somewhere like Thailand uh, could really add some fun to the drama. You know, it's, it's like multi-layered, whereas, you know, you you kind of mentioned the, like the Maldives, Ishmael. The problem with that is it's like limited. It's like it's just it's, it's very small, right? Whereas you go to somewhere like Thailand or Mexico City, there's just, you know, so much room for drama and intrigue. Um, and so I like that. I like that this this show is all about layers and about complications and about like ten, you know people being connected one another, and it just it's it'll be fun to kind of see that, um, especially with the theme he's looking to play for. So I'm excited, and also that maybe we'll see some sense of Tanya, um, whether it's through Greg's psyche or something else. Um, mm-hmm. I'd like to get a hint of her next season. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping. It's like a psyche thing mm-hmm. that he sees her or has weird guilt visions or maybe he does like ayahuasca or i don't know has some kind of crazy you know he brings in because what did mike white say in the segment did he say it was about the afterlife he used three words but it's basically about mortality yeah okay it's the general theme Um, yeah i'm really curious to see what he does with these characters in that environment Mm -hmm. anything else on you guys' hopes for next season? That it's really soon? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> soon. Oh, I have a recommendation, actor recommendation. I know I said, like, keep this to an hour, but the conversation is just so good. It's so good. <laughs> so, a legend who needs to be in season three, Laura Dawn, okay? Like, can't you just see her? Oh, my God. <laughs> An amazing woman. The latest thing that like I saw her in was like Big Little Lies, but she's in she's phenomenal. Okay? Do, do you say that knowing that she was the voice on the end of the phone to Dom? Like when she she it's I, I'm I'm fairly sure Laura Dern, it's her voice. Um Ishmael's checking on the phone. He can just fact check in a minute, but I'm pretty sure she's the voice on the phone to Dom. Although the picture he looks at in this episode not is not Laura Dern. So it's just her voice is used in this season. Are you sure it's her voice? Well, Ishmael's checking for us now just to confirm. But, you know, is Laura Dern's voice on the phone in White Lotus Season 2? Pretty sure it is. Wouldn't that be a... You already got that in Season 2, Jen. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Whoa! It is her. Oh, my... I'm like, oh, my God, get out of here. <laughs> it's happening. What an ear you have, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> tone deaf completely. <laughs> yeah, right. Tone deaf, but he can identify actresses' voices. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Actors, no chance. Actresses, easy. Yes. <laughs> really quickly, this is totally Oscar. Uh, do you guys have any actor recommendations? Anybody you would like to see? That's a good question for this season. Yeah. Question. For season three? That's pretty good. I would love to see Laura Linney. Laura Linney is great too. Mm. Be a yeah, great ma- white ma- tourist. Maybe the whole family from Ozark, you know, with their you wealth. Know what? Really, literally the whole. Yeah, Jason Bateman. Yeah. It would be pretty dope. It would be, <laughs> be pretty cool. For, for some reason, Matthew McConaughey is coming into my mind. 
Interesting. That would be a good one, actually. <laughs> it's just it's just off the wall, you know. It's just like just who's going to be the most intricate. Ishmael loves Taylor Kitsch, which is so funny. Oh dang! I don't know why. Love him in it. Or um Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> nah, I love Jake Gyllenhaal too. So hey, anything Jake Gyllenhaal. Tom Hardy would be phenomenal. You think so? I'm a big Tom Hardy person. I do too, but I see him more in film. I mean he's a good actor, but it, it, don't, don't is disrespect. he funny? Is don't he a funny the guy. I'm sorry about it. Is don't he dis- a funny person? You ever seen well never mind, I'll talk to you about that off okay. the air, but yes, he is funny. Tom Hardy would be great. But um Pablo Scrivener. Is that how you pronounce his name? I don't know He's Lee's brother from Ray Donovan. We don't. I haven't seen Ray Donovan. Damn. Okay. Never mind. But this guy. <laughs> okay. Wow. Let me pull up a picture. We'll see. Um, but I think uh, whoever it's going to be, we know that the casting team do a fantastic job. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have to think about it. I can't think of anyone off the top of my head. Look how big it is. Any other recos or move on? Okay. Apartment 4E. So from this episode, or maybe from the whole season, what do you guys want to put in Apartment 4E that will get rid of it for, like, ever? Like, what needs to be put in there? I I have an answer if if anyone else is going to go. Um, My answer is um, the sound that Tanya's head makes when it hits the boat on the way down. (laughs) I'm going to that was amazing. Oh, it was incredible, but oh, isn't it haunting as hell though? It's just like that moment that like that's the moment it's all over, right? Like it isn't when she slips, it isn't when she lands in the water, it's when she hits that boat and that's it and it's just oh that sound just it sends, you know, ripples down my spine. It's um yeah, so like, it was great for the drama, but but that sound is haunting. I was going to say that, too, because we were talking about it last night. Do I have to say a different one? You can say whatever you like. Yeah. You can even put me in there if you want, if that's how you're feeling. <laughs> Not today. You're allowed to come out today. Huh. <laughs> uh, I'm going to let you guys go. I'm going to think about it. David David took mine. <laughs> think about it, too. I'm going to put in there. Because it doesn't, it could be like ideas. It can be. How about, can I put in like revenge sex? Like mm-hmm. with your partner? That's a good one. No, like I'm just not into that. Like you're either into someone or you're out. Like for me, I'm black and white on that. I don't like that whole manipulative, yeah. weird game. So I'm just going to put like revenge, marital revenge sex mm-hmm. in, in apartment 40. Yeah, Coco like prefers. It. She just oversalts my food when she's looking for a bit of revenge. <laughs> what? I agree. I'm gonna co-sign yours, Coco. I co-sign it. What do you have for forty? That's hard, um, Coco. You really raised the bar with that one. <laughs> I will throw in forty. I guess the lack of moral compass for money, or like just doing anything for money. Mm-hmm. Look at these That's a good one. Like it's just it's evil. Between you know 
Cameron and Daphne and Ethan and Harper, like they just defiled their unions to form a power couple. And then when you look at Greg, he was willing to kill his wife for money. So yeah, people just doing evil acts for money. It's a good one. Makes the world go round. Sadly. <laughs> Sadly, yes. <laughs> Pretty bad. Yeah. Anything else on these apartment 40s? No, I think there's some good additions. Okay. Well, that about wraps it up for this conversation of the White Lotus. We have really enjoyed uh, reviewing this and having everybody listen to our little thoughts, big and small, I guess. Interesting, not interesting. Provocative, not provocative. And we've been so, so lucky to have had our partners on for two of these episodes. Um, No, three, three episodes. Yeah, three episodes. Um, So we are definitely going to be back for another season. Of course, we're not sure exactly what we're going to do, but we will be back and we hope you guys will be tuning in. Is there anything you want to say before we log off, David? Um, firstly, thank you, Ishmael and Coco, for for coming with us on this little journey. Thank you, Jen, because um, I I just love this, and I've said this different times over the years, but I get so much out of doing this podcast, and even in this example, the White Lotus. Like I enjoyed the show more because we were doing this, and that's that's a nice thing to have. Um, so I really appreciate that. I appreciate you. I appreciate you too. Um, and I'm really excited for next season and um, I'm I'm cooking up some ideas and I know I'm sure Jen is too and uh, hopefully we'll be back real soon. I just want to say I'm proud of you guys to have six seasons of anything. Like, I tip my hat to you both, the dedication, the time that you put in. It's inspiring as a creative myself. So keep going. I second that. I'm just going to, I'm going to co-sign that as well. <laughs> And thank you so much for having me on. This has been really fun. All right. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Until next time.